0: Today's reading is taken from Genesis, starting at chapter 17, verses 15, reading through to chapter 18, verse 15. God also said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you are no longer to call her Sarai. Her name will be Sarah. I will bless her and will surely give you a son by her. I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations. Kings of peoples will come from her. Abraham fell face down. He laughed and said to himself, Will a son be born to a man a hundred years old? Will Sarah bear a child at the age of ninety? And Abraham said to God, If only Ishmael might live under your blessing. Then God said, Yes, but your wife Sarah will bear you a son, and you will call him Isaac. I will establish my covenants with him as an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. And as for Ishmael, I have heard you. I will surely bless him. I will make him fruitful and will greatly increase his numbers. He will be the father of twelve rulers, and I will make him into a great nation. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah will bear to you by this time next year. When he had finished speaking with Abraham, God went up from him. On that very day, Abraham took his son Ishmael and all those born in his household or bought with his money, every male in his household and circumcised them as God told him. Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised and his son Ishmael was 13. Abraham and his son Ishmael were both circumcised on that very day and every male in Abraham's household, including those born in his household or bought from a foreigner, was circumcised with him. The Lord appeared to Abraham near the great trees of Mamre, while he was sitting at the entrance to his tent in the heat of the day. Abraham looked up and saw three men standing nearby. When he saw them, he hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them and bowed low to the ground. He said, If I have found favour in your eyes, my lord, do not pass your servant by. Let a little water be brought, and then you may all wash your feet and rest under this tree. Let me get you something to eat, so you can be refreshed and then go on your way, now that you have come to your servant. Very well, they answered. Do as you say. So Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah. Quick, he said, get three seahars of the finest flour, and knead it and bake some bread. Then he ran to the herd and selected a choice tender calf, gave it to a servant who hurried to prepare it. Then he bought some curds and milk and the calf that had been prepared and set these before them while they ate he stood near to, he stood near them under a tree where's your wife sarah they asked him there in the tent he said then one of them said i will surely return to you about this time next year and sarah your wife will have a son now sarah was listening at the entrance to the tent which was behind him abraham and sarah were already very old and sarah was past the age of childbearing so sarah laughed Laughed to herself as she thought, after I am worn out and my Lord is old, will I now have this pleasure? Then the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, will I really have a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year and Sarah will have a son. Sarah was afraid, so she lied and said, I did not laugh. But he said, yes, you did laugh. This is God's word.
1: Thank you, Mike, and good morning, everybody. Nice to see you all, whether you're visiting or regular here. My name's Pete Snow. I'm assistant minister here. And uh, over Christmas, I have been looking forward to getting back to the colourful Abraham and Sarah and their strange marriage and the strange episodes that we've been reading about. So we're back. We're back here. Uh, our little series is called Living in the Gap between Promise and Reality. We had a bite at it before Christmas hit, and now we're back for another month or so. I think it's going to be great. But let's pray. Almighty God, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, we we come to you this morning. We, We need your help, Father, to understand the scriptures which sometimes seem strange to us. And we pray that for each one of us here this morning, whatever state we're in, wherever we've been, however we feel at the beginning of 2018, you would have a blessing for us in this amazing story about your goodness, your faithfulness to ordinary people. Through Jesus Christ. Amen. Is faith a joke? Is it a joke to spend your entire life waiting for God, waiting for him to fulfill some very specific promise, and to go on and on and on, waiting and waiting and waiting... To go on and on and on, all to, to the end of your life, in fact, in this gap between um, receiving the promise and experiencing the reality. Is that just a joke? Some people would certainly say so. In our passage today, as Matt said earlier on, we have um, two people who laugh at this at a certain point in the gap. It just seems to stretch on and on and on so much. Abraham and Sarah, they're a married couple. They're elderly by the, this point in the story. And in chapter 17, you might have noticed, we have Abraham laughing. God gives them a covenant. <laughs> Slightly covert, but oh my goodness, that's never going to happen. And then chapter 18, very strikingly, you get Sarah, his wife, laughing again when um, she gets a very specific promise about the due date of her child. So these things um, seem to come together and we're supposed to think, oh, they laughed. It, it, faith at this point it seemed to have become a joke to them. Incidentally, I just want you to notice that this early point uh, the Bible is very honest about character flaws. I think it's really encouraging. So you don't get more patriarchal and matriarchal than Abraham and Sarah in the Bible. I mean, they, they are like the two that stand at the head of the family tree. And uh, here we are told, well, the truth, actually. You know, the author of Genesis doesn't sweep it under the carpet and say, everything was perfect, fine. Don't ask about Abraham and Sarah and whether they had any weaknesses. We're told, actually, that they really struggled in this episode and several others. And at one stage, they just laughed when God made promises. I find that strangely encouraging because it tells me this is, this is probably a true book if they're willing to paint the main hero's character flaws like that. So anyway, that was an aside. Here we go. Um, for us in London today, is faith a joke? I mean, it can seem that way, can't it? When the rest of London is pouring down its neck fine wine and um, taking Michelin-starred food wherever they can get it and having all the travel experiences they could possibly fit in before they're laid in the grave. And here are the Christians waiting. Oh, what are you doing, Christians? Are you still waiting? Yes, I thought so, yes. Living in the gap still. There's a famous um, atheist on YouTube, Pat Condell, and uh, he's a very eloquent atheist who's able to, to talk... Uh, rabidly against people of faith. And one of his most uh, viewed videos on YouTube is called, Your Faith is a Joke. 788,000 views on YouTube. And it's a very eloquent rant. He says at one point, uh, Your faith is a joke. Your God is a joke. So far, no evidence has been forthcoming. I think if he could have a word in Abraham and Sarah's ear, in some time-traveling way, then he might say, This is a joke. And you're 99 years old, and you're waiting for a baby. Come on. This is ridiculous. You've got no evidence. Abraham, I think, feels it keenly at this point, because we're told uh, at the very end of chapter 16, where we left it just before Christmas, he was 86 years old. That's the last verse in chapter 16. The next thing we're told, start at chapter 17, he's 99 years old. So he goes from 86 to 99 in the space of a verse. That's a big That's that 13-year gap, for one thing, between the two episodes. And he's left, presumably in 13 years, to brood on the mistake he made with Hagar. Remember when he slept with his slave girl? It was sort of soap opera worthy. And he's left brooding on this, thinking, is this ever going to happen? The the clock is ticking to my 100th birthday. You know, Sarah's starting to ask him, what do you want to do for your 100th birthday? And he's thinking, i just really like the promise to come true at last. And as his birthday comes near, it seems more and more ominous. What a joke some people would have been saying to him. Give up. And then. God. Meets him. In a very special way. When well, we're beginning to see this emerge. God, God does do that. As the gap goes on and on. God gives him these amazing blocks of evidence. It really flies in the face of what Pat Condell would say on YouTube. There is incredible evidence for the Christian faith. And here I just want to try and keep it really simple for you today. Two two bits of evidence that God gives Abraham and Sarah in this moment where they're waiting and waiting and waiting. He gives them a covenant and he gives them a visit. Okay, A covenant, chapter 17, and a visit, start of chapter 18. I'll just try and show you how each of those is so good. A covenant and a visit. First of all, a covenant. This is all of chapter 17. Uh, We didn't read it all, but let me try and explain it all to you. The whole of chapter 17, just bear with me for a moment. There's a little bit of biblical lingo, but it's worth it, worth persevering for, is a covenant. This sounds a bit familiar. Yes, we did have a covenant in chapter 15, so not that long ago. That was like the covenant initiated, and this is the covenant confirmed and fleshed out in chapter 17. Okay, Just look with me, verse 4. This is very covenantal, very legal. It would have been familiar to all the uh, the covenant documents of the time. We can cross-reference it against non-Christian ones. So verse 4, chapter 17. As for me, says God, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations, and so on. So God says, as for me. Next paragraph, just skip down to verse 9. God said to Abraham, as for you, you must keep my covenant. You see? This is my role in the covenant as God. This is your role as Abraham. Skip down to the next paragraph, verse 15. God also said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you're no longer to call her Sarai. Her name will be Sarah. So this is for me, my role as God, your role as, as Abraham, your role as Sarah. And then he'll go on in verse 20 to say, this is Ishmael, as for Ishmael, your son. Okay, so he's going through the covenant formula in a very precise way. No doubt about it, this is a covenant Covenants are not particularly normal to us now, so we've just got to work hard and put ourselves in that frame of mind. This would have been very normal, binding legal procedure in those days, a covenant document. In particular, I want to tell you one really good word that's very useful in Scrabble. Suzerain. Okay, Suzerain, S-U-Z-E-R-A-I-N, eight letters with a Z in it. It's very useful if you need points. Uh, A suzerain treaty was the the norm in those days because it was a superpower, which which is a suzerain, a, a more powerful nation or party, saying to a lesser party, the vassal technically, I am going to offer you a covenant. So... Imagine with me, you're in the ancient world and Assyria are sweeping through and they're this enormous superpower, they were the suzerain of the day, and they come sweeping through the Mediterranean lands and they get to your city-state, let's say you are Edom, because they've come up in the Bible a lot, and you're this little small nation, and Assyria comes sweeping through and they say, okay, we're camped at your city gate, you might be able to see the enormous army behind us with the chariots and the horsemen, thousands and thousands of people, take note, you have two choices, Edom. Choice number one, sign the covenant. Yes, this this is a suzerain covenant. It will mean that we own you, but you survive. Choice number one. Choice number two, we destroy you. What do you want to do? And a suzerain treaty worked like that because occasionally someone took choice number two and they try and fight the battle and get obliterated normally. But normally they'd say, thanks, we'll take choice number one. And they sign the treaty and suddenly you have a suzerain covenant and normally that came with exorbitant tribute tax So every year you pay a lot of gold in order to not get destroyed why does this matter to us well look at the terms of this suzerain covenant chapter 17 verse 4 as for me this is my covenant with you you will be the father of many nations no longer will you be called abram your name will be abraham for i have made you a father of many nations I'll make you fruitful, very fruitful. I'll make nations of you and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come, to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan, where you now reside as a foreigner, I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you. And I will be their God. Do you ever get to the moment where you're um, buying something or renting something and they put the contract in front of you? And uh, the pedant in me just wants to make sure I'm not being duped, so I, I say, you know, even though that, you know, maybe the, the guy's standing over you, just, just sign the thing. I'm, I'm saying, just, sorry, just give me a minute. I'm just going to read, read everything in the small, yeah, yeah. Sorry, just, yeah. Okay, okay, I'll sign. And it, you know, it feels like an agonisingly long pause while you make the guy wait. I imagine Abraham doing that here. I don't suppose it was on paper because they didn't have paper. But God reads him the terms and he says, just give me a minute. You're going to give me. The land of Canaan. You're going to give me kings in my family tree as my grandsons. And the terms of this, this covenant are forever. Just give me a minute. Just give me a minute. Yes, okay, I'll sign it. Okay. Do you see the terms of this covenant? It's incredible. In terms of the choice, do you want to sign the covenant or do you want to get destroyed? Thank you very much. I'll sign the covenant actually. I mean, that's actually very profound in Genesis because God has every right to put things in those terms. Do you want to get destroyed? Because ever since the, the third chapter of Genesis, things have not been going well for the human race. I have every right to obliterate you and start again. I have every right to come up to your little city-state, this little rebellious enterprise that you're running, and wipe you out. And he would say that to every human being on the planet today. But I'm going to offer you a covenant. Two things that God demands of um, Abraham in return. So that was God's part as for for me. Um, And then as for you, Abraham, I want your name. And I want your circumcision. Strange. Let me just try and explain each of them. First of all, he says, do you notice? Verse 5, I want your name. You will no longer be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham. Abraham. Okay, so that's just a slight change. It's just a syllable, isn't it? Abram means exalted father. Abraham means father of many. So it's a slight change to reflect the promises God is making to him. Sarah also gets her name changed. And that's even more minute. It's just a letter in English. Uh, in verse 15, she's no longer going to be Sarai, but Sarah. That doesn't actually seem to mean that much. They both seem to mean princess in the Hebrew language. Sarai, Sarah, both the same meaning. So what's God doing when he demands the name change? seems to me that it's this. It's a reminder that he owns us. I want your name. It's not a big name, in fact. I'm just changing a syllable in your name, a letter in your name. But I am changing your name because you belong to me now. It's not going to affect you very much. It's just a one-time thing. I'm sure your friends and family will get used to it after a few months. But I am taking your name and changing it. Superpowers. Sometimes did this. Remember the book of Daniel. Uh, Daniel and his mates go to Babylon and they get new names. It's the sign that the superpower owns them now. Actually, I met a Christian pastor recently. And uh, he he was a guy from London. He had this troubled drugs upbringing, really troubled background. And then he became a Christian. And changed his name just thought right enough of this i'm clean break with my past jesus has offered me a new beginning i'm going to call myself azariah i think probably he just leafed through his bible and picked the 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 coolest name he could find or something but uh, azariah is now a pastor in london and uh, he has this, this new name this new identity so there's something of that going on here i think this new covenant identity is given to abraham and sarah and so god says i want your name and you're not going to believe this, Abraham, but I want your circumcision. And we might wince at this. I'm going to try and spare you with the embarrassing details. But look at verse 23. On that very day, Abraham took his son Ishmael and all those born in his household or bought with his money, every male in his household, and circumcised them as God told him. Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised and his son Ishmael was 13 Abraham and his son Ishmael were both circumcised on that very day. And every male in Abraham's household, including those born in his household or bought from a foreigner, was circumcised with him. This is a one-time only thing. right? And it, it seems rather drastic if you're suddenly told, oh, you need to get circumcised. But actually, uh, I think if I was offered a whole country of real estate and um, a royal family tree... And th- this was going to last forever. I would, I, I think I would probably be willing to undergo a minor medical procedure in order to receive that. I mean, that was a strange offer, but uh, okay, on balance, I'll, t- I'll take that. And uh, Abraham's given that, that offer. Here's the thing. In a sense, therefore, it's not much, is it? It's a one-time thing. Change your name. Have a medical procedure, and all this can be yours. On the other hand, it is Everything you can't get closer to my identity than changing my name and taking away part of my sexual identity. I mean, I think the whole of London would agree with that. My name and my sexuality, that is, that is everything about me. And God reaches into Abraham's life and says, Look, in a sense, this isn't very much. I'm asking nothing of you and I'm going to give you the land. But you do belong to me now. And just to prove it, I'm going to take your name and your sexuality, your, your, I'm going to take a piece of your skin just to prove that you belong to me. You see? Now in a sense, in a sense Christianity's always been like that. It's everything and nothing. God gives you everything in Jesus Christ. He makes a covenant with you and says, I'm going to give you things beyond your wildest dreams, every spiritual blessing in Jesus Christ and sonship and justification and redemption. And it's not going to cost you a thing. You don't have to do anything. And yet, on the other hand, of course, I have to be prepared to give up anything for Jesus Christ. It does get right to the heart of my identity. Because if Jesus Christ is Lord, then I am willing to hand over anything to him. You see? So it's everything. And it's nothing. And those were the terms that Abraham discovered in that first covenant. So, I think what we need to do today is uh, go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations circumcising them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to... Ab- no, 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 I got it wrong, didn't I? I think what we need to do today, as Jesus put it in the words of the Great Commission, is go and baptize people. Okay? So I just want to be extra clear. There is no New Testament requirement that a Christian believer needs to go and be circumcised. Clear. What it gets replaced with in the New Testament is baptism. So not circumcision, but baptism. And uh, just so you know what I'm talking about, here we go. I think we've got a verse, um, have we, Susie, from Colossians 2, verses 11 and 12. Where, uh, Well, let me read it to you. In him, Colossians 2 says, In Christ you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. I know that gets a bit complicated in the middle, but what Paul the Apostle is doing is taking circumcision in the Old Testament right at the beginning of the Bible, and he's drawing a link all the way over to the New Testament and saying, "Here's baptism. They are related as a similar thing. I'm able to talk about them in the same breath. And what Christians um, all down the ages, whether they're Baptists or pedo-Baptists as we are here in the Church of England, is they've able to, they're able to say this. Circumcision that's the sign of the old covenant. That's the thing that you did when you joined the old covenant. That's the sign. And then in the new covenant, the baptism, that's the sign of the new covenant. That's the thing that you do when you join the, the new covenant community. Okay? I know this gets a bit Complicated. But I just want to explain it to you because this is one of the places where it starts to come up in the Bible. The reason we baptize babies at Christchurch Mayfair is because we see that that's always, there's always been a sign to mark your entry into the covenant family. There were babies eight days old in Abraham's household being circumcised here, and they were given the sign of the covenant. But there was always a circumcision of the heart not performed by human hands. So there was always the sign. And then it was always uh, given that I might embrace it by faith as I grow up. Just so a uh, Church of England people would believe uh, you are given the sign, baptism, if you're the children of a believer in the New Testament. And then, God willing, you receive the circumcision not performed by hands. A sort of uh, believing by faith, a circumcision of a heart as you grow up. Okay, okay. I'm gonna, I promise I'll leave baptism there except to say, sometimes you see... a a Christian believer who really understands the significance of baptism in this way. I remember a friend of mine, um, they were from a different religious culture and they became a Christian and they, got, oh my goodness, I need to be baptized. And it was a really big deal because they knew what their parents would think. They knew that this was going to be a huge jump, a, a sign that I'm joining this new community of Christians and I'm undergoing baptism as the sort of visible, tangible thing here. It was fantastic. He sort of um, screwed up his eyes and he said, okay, I'll get baptized. I do want to belong to Jesus Christ. And he underwent the, the covenant sign in that way. Do you know, a Christian, a baptized Christian, should be able to look back at their baptism and think, at whatever age it was done, oh, how wonderfully encouraging to, to have that covenant ceremony in my life just like Abraham could look back to this moment this covenant ceremony where he received circumcision a Christian should be able to look back and say how fantastic that God met me with his promises back in my past and I received them and I received the covenant sign and I've embraced it by faith it's somewhat like going to a wedding you know you have that current covenant ceremony where you make oaths and you exchange a sign together a ring and you enter into a covenant together and even if your marriage gets into trouble later on as all marriages do I can look back for, for, for one thing among many at that marriage and I can think how encouraging that we had that covenant ceremony that we entered into together where we both swore oaths and exchanged rings and I have that to look back on. Just so with a Christian baptism I can look back on that and think how encouraging that God met me with his promises and was willing to swear oaths to me. Do you see? So we have this covenant in chapter 17 and to a doubting troubled waiting believer god meets him very very graciously very graciously with this incredible covenant do you want to sign this abraham do you want to be in this covenant okay we'll have to leave chapter 17 there secondly and more briefly let me just show you in chapter 18 we get a visit okay Don't worry, this is much simpler. Not so much talk about circumcision and baptism. Okay, A visit, chapter 18. What do you make of this? The Lord appeared to Abraham near the great trees of Mamre while he was sitting at the entrance to his tent in the heat of the day. Abraham looked up and saw three men standing nearby. When he saw them, he hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them and bowed low to the ground. You get these mysterious visitors. okay? And I want to say to you, it does seem that God comes to visit Abraham. I know, weird. At first he seems to think, well, maybe they're just people. He's looking through the Middle East in heat haze and he's sitting in his tent sort of having a half siesta and then these men appear. And then it seems that he sort of gets the hang of it and thinks, oh, these are really important men. Maybe they're, maybe they're angels or something. And he starts rushing around frantically. Uh, but then you get clues. So look at verse 3. If I found favour in your eyes, my Lord, do not pass your servant by. And the word he uses there, Lord, is a God word. Do not. If I found favour in your eyes, my God, my Lord. He seems to be twigging that this is some divine visitor. And then, of course, we go on. He starts rushing around, preparing this incredible food and a welcome. And by verse 13, if you just look at verse 13, the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh? So this is now, we're being told, this is the Lord visiting Abraham. And he seems to know that Sarah was laughing, even though she was in the tent. And then just to seal it, we do seem to have God visiting here. Because at the very end of the chapter, do you see verse 33? When the Lord had finished speaking with Abraham, the Lord had finished speaking, he left, and Abraham returned home. The two angels arrived at Sodom in the evening. So you remember, okay, there were three visitors two of them seem to have been angels and one of them somehow mysteriously is the Lord visiting Abraham oh my goodness how does that work I've got no idea I, mean, I just don't really know I've been puzzling over it this week I think this is somehow the Lord visiting is it Jesus Christ in some pre-incarnate form I do not know it's certainly not a permanent incarnation. Uh, are there two angels? Yes, I think so. Is the Lord definitely speaking to Abraham? Yes, I think so. Can I say more? No, I don't think so. What you do glean from Abraham's behaviour is whoa, he's so frantic. You know, just look at um, chapter eighteen. He, he says, "I'm your servant. I want to find favour in your eyes. Just let me let me bring you a little bit of water just to just to wet your whistle." And then, quick, quick. Sarah, start kneading some dough and let's kill the calf and bring the curds and the milk. He's rushing around. And something about his reaction tells me that oh, yeah, this really is a divine visitor. The purpose of it all, the purpose of this visit is to make the promise very specific. You are going to have a son, Sarah, and it's going to be in a year's time. Start getting the baby clothes out. Start decorating the nursery. Because baby's coming in a year to the day. You know when you're at someone's house and the, uh, the hospitality is epic. Uh, we've got some friends like this who, you know, <laughs> just delight to sort of lavish hospitality on you when you come to stay. So, uh, we've been for a couple of weekends with them and, you know, nothing's too much trouble and everything's beautifully prepared. You know, of course, of course the linen's out and they've brought in incredible food and they just get the best wine out for you. Um, and, uh, if you go on an outing, then no, 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 they're paying. And they won't hear a word of it. And they'll take you to see some sights and do anything you like with them. It's just epic hospitality. I think from now on, in, I'm going to try in my house, we're going to call that Abraham hospitality. <laughs> uh, this is Abraham hospitality that we receive today, uh, I'm going to say. And maybe we'll try and replicate it in some way in our house he's quick and everything's quick and verses six to eight he runs in the midday heat he runs you know he's, he's having this siesta and it's sweltering and he doesn't care he's running and quick um sarah get the dough and start going and, and come on shepherd boys kill that one over there and start cooking it and then he stands near like a servant you know just he won't even sit with them he's just waiting for them to finish that's abraham hospitality i am here to serve you and of course I think that is because not, not only is he generous, that was a Middle Eastern thing but he realises who the visitor is. The incarnation of Jesus Christ. I can't explain to you. I can't, I can't explain to you how God the Son becomes incarnate. I mean I can talk you through the creeds and the things that we're able to say about this we definitely can say and this is definitely heresy I can tell you that it definitely happened. I'm utterly convinced of that. Um, I've got a history degree and I couldn't be more convinced that this is history and it really happened, but I can't explain it to you. I don't think I can explain this incarnate visitor in chapter 18 to you either. But when you realize who the visitor is, nothing's too much trouble. when I realize who Jesus Christ is when I realize that this is God come to earth then I am willing to offer him Abraham hospitality in my life you see I'm willing to rush around and let my whole life revolve around him all of a sudden I just want to honor Jesus the visitor in the way I live he is the divine visitor come to earth from heaven if you're not yet a Christian believer can I say um you might witness Christians rushing around doing all sorts of stuff for Jesus Christ in their life. You know, frantically busy with all sorts of meetings and Bible readings and prayer and giving and all sorts of stuff. And it can feel a bit like a whirlwind. Why are you, what are you doing? Why do you do all this stuff? I know that can be a bit confusing. I've been in that experience myself. But at the centre of that whirlwind is a divine visitor. There is God coming to earth, and He makes all the difference in the world. Because a Christian is someone who's realised that God has come to visit, and nothing is too much trouble now if I've realised that Jesus Christ is Lord. So, can I encourage you? There's lots of stuff going on in every church in the world; lots of, a big whirlwind of activity. But look to the centre of it all, because there is Jesus Christ. There is the one who is so life-changing. Matt mentioned on his questions earlier on. I think that would be a great chance just to take a bit of time look directly at Jesus Christ and try and figure out who who are you? Because you seem to be a very special visitor indeed. If you are a Christian believer I want you to note what Sarah did. Verse 10 Then one of them said I will surely return to you about this time next year and Sarah your wife will have a son. Now Sarah was listening at the entrance to the tent which was behind him. Abraham and Sarah were already very old and Sarah was past the age of childbearing. So Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, after i am worn out and my Lord is old, will I now have this pleasure? That's ridiculous. Then the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, will I really have a child now that I'm old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year and Sarah will have a son. Sarah was afraid, so she lied and said, I didn't laugh. But he said, yes, he did laugh. So Sarah seemed, thinks this promise is, oh, this, this is too fanciful, this is too much. My, oh, my whole life is actually a bit painful to be given a specific date, only if, no doubt, it will just pass, and it will be more painful then. So she laughs. So if you are a Christian believer, look, there there is a sort of Christianity which is very, very busy. Which is taken up with all sorts of events and things to do. You know, eight, Sarah, while she's laughing, she's actually needing sixteen kilograms of bread dough. i three seers of flour, sixteen well, I, I quite like making bread. I only a uh, one kilogram, that's quite hard, but she's needing sixteen kilograms of dough and laughing at the promises of God at the same time. There is a sort of Christianity which is very busy which is always doing things. And yet it quietly disbelieves what God promises. I was very struck by this recently in thinking about Jesus' return, which is, of course, the one big, big unfulfilled promise in the Bible that we're all waiting for. And I just thought, I think i do this a little bit. I think when I read about Jesus' return and some of the more outlandish passages, which haven't yet been fulfilled... I just quietly think maybe maybe not but I'm trying to force myself to think yes but this is God's gracious promise he's never been unreliable yet I'm utterly convinced by everything else he's done he's given me a covenant and a visit and I choose to believe I think that attitude really honors God. You know, the sort of attitude that opens my Bible. Every time I'm given an opportunity to hear what God says, I think I choose to believe this. Whatever is in store for me in the Bible, in life, I choose to believe. Do you know, one last thing. The little extra thing we learn in this chapter is the name of the child. Isaac. He's going to be called Isaac, we're told in chapter 17. And Isaac, of course, means he laughs. So God is reminding them here, you you laughed at my promises. I'm just going to drop that into your family life from now on. Your your son is called Isaac. Remember when you laughed at my promises? Don't do that again. But there is another sense to Isaac, which I think God intends them to be reminded of. I am going to make you laugh with joy. I'm going to make you giggle because I'm going to be so good to you. I'm going to utterly delight you in the years to come so that you'll look back on on that and think... (laughs) He is so good to us. The only way faith can actually be a joke in the long run is that sense. You know, I'm going to wake up on resurrection morning and I think I will giggle. I think you, if you're near me, you will hear me giggle because I, I will think, <laughs> He is so good to us. It all came true. The covenant, the visit. I've ended up laughing in a very different way. Let's pray. Almighty God, God of the covenant, God of the of the divine visitor, Jesus Christ, our Savior, we, we praise you this morning. We we recognize all the people around us in London, in the world, who would say this is a joke. We're living a, a joke. And yet when we give our attention to the covenant you laid down and the baptism we've received... And when we give our attention to our divine visitor, Jesus Christ, who is at the center of everything, how our hearts leap for joy and how it does make us glad. And Father God, I pray that you would um, confirm in us that joy this morning. I pray we'd be glad to be living in the gap between promise and reality with this God. And I pray for anybody who might be struggling, that you would give us the help, encouragement, the grace that we need to live day by day as believers in Jesus Christ, our good God and Savior. Amen.